The Book Thingo podcast is a lively discussion about romance books, culture, and sex in the stacks. Vasiliki Veros joins us for episode 50, recorded in Sydney. Book Thingo would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this episode was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We also acknowledge the contributions of Aboriginal Australians to our shared literary heritage. Welcome to the Book Thingo podcast, talking about books we love, especially romance. Kill a fairy fast on the Book Thingo podcast. Welcome back to the Book Thingo podcast. I'm Kat Mayo from bookthingo.com.au, an Aussie blog for romance readers. Our guest today has been long overdue for a podcast interview. Vasiliki Veros is a librarian, academic and romance advocate. She's also a very good friend of mine and I've been talking about having her on the show since uh, 2012. We finally made it happen. If you want to know what librarians really think of sex in the library, this is the show for you. You can find information on the titles and authors we talk about in the show by going to bookthingo.com.au slash podcast and clicking on episode number 50. Hello, Vasiliki, and welcome to the podcast for our 50th episode. Thank you. I'm a bit scared. Why? Nothing to be scared of. (laughs) Like, it's not like we ever I've run out of things for to a long about. time. That's why I'm scared. I think the problem is going to be, like, not interrupting each other because yeah, that's how so. we talk. That's right. And Rudy is, like, going to be monitoring us. And... Okay, so I have to behave? Not really. Not really. Right. <laughs> so we have so many things to talk about. First of all, uh, we met because you were my librarian. I Actually, was. you and we bonded over Thomas the Tank Engine. We did. And Jennifer Cruzy. We did. And I think that it started with Thomas, though. Yes. And then I think... They're all male except for two. And then I think you saw me borrowing some romances and you were like, you know, you should Mm -hmm. try Jennifer Cruzy. And I'm like, oh. Was it Jennifer Cruzy or Suzanne Brockman? Oh, I think I... No, but I think you... You have me to thank for your Suzanne Brockman moment. I was already reading Cruzy. And then you recommended Brockman. That's right. And then I glommed Brockman <laughs> until I glommed until it so much to, that I couldn't do until it Until you got to the novella. Oh, my God, the novella. <laughs> the vomit and diarrhea novella. <laughs> so Brockman had like a secondary male-male uh, romance between Jules and Robin. Yes, that's Robin it. and Jules, right? Yeah. So, like, it was like, actually quite a sweet romance, and it went through a few of the books, that's and then right. they finally got their novella, although they were already together by then. This <laughs> novella starts <laughs> with diarrhea. <laughs> like, what the hell? It wasn't romantic. <laughs> no, there's no well, universe where that's romantic. Yeah, the vomit I, scene is fine because if someone can take care of you but it while you're throwing vomit, up, you, you know, you're pitting, but I think, you know, um, it's, it's very important. In the previous books, there was a scene where I think it was Robin. Robin was a celebrity, right? Yes, but so he was I a bit of a drunk, you yeah, know, so alcoholic. He was, he was drinking. He was right. in the closet and he couldn't cope with who he was. And I think there was a scene where he was basically holding his head to aim his vomit <laughs> <laughs> appropriately. But it was like, Food poisoning, gastro diarrhea is just, I don't understand what that brings to a romance. It just, there's nothing. No, well, there is the thing of 
Love me, love my juices. <laughs> love me, love my juices. I think I have found the title for our podcast. <laughs> I think after that, I was like, no more Brockman for me. So then after that, we went to the Australian Romance Readers Convention. We did. And that was Actually, the beginning. it was because of you, you coerced me. You kept coming into the library. <laughs> you did. You were coming into the library saying... How can you, my librarian, say not, oh my God, not be at this at this readers' convention? I'm like, oh, okay. I feel bad now because you, you know it was my first trip away from my kids ever. Really? Yeah. Wow. And my, my then seven year old just sat at the train station because I didn't want to fly, sobbing. And I thought it was. Oh, because, no. <laughs> I thought it was because he was going to miss me, but it was because he wanted to get on the train. Oh. <laughs> You weren't taking him. That's right. <laughs> Actually, I think I took my family, so we had to stay at a different hotel. But that was nice that I could just abandon them yeah. during the day. Can I say that was the most amazing, most wonderful readers' convention I've ever attended. I, it had an yeah. atmosphere like like nothing else I've ever been to. I know. I'm so sad that they don't. They're not going to be doing a similar thing anymore. And even compared to the Romantic Times convention, which um, Rudy, Gabby, and I went to, I found Ara a lot more intimate. Yeah. At least that very first Ara, a lot more intimate, and everyone was so accessible. And I agree. The panels were really interesting. I think they even had a plenary of publishers and publishing trends. Yeah. Um, In actual fact. The very first thing that they had was an academic panel. Yeah. And that was the moment where I went, uh-huh, what am I doing? Why aren't, why aren't I oh, is that studying? What started you in the, oh, absolutely, the absolutely. That panel and the discussion that they had, it was like I had found that moment where I thought, well, you know, I, I can take all those questions I have about where is romance placed in the library and start exploring them because of that talk up there. Well, I didn't even realise that there were people studying romance in Australia. So that was a big sort of eye-opener. The other thing was when Stephanie Lawrence stood up and everyone was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't even know she was Australian. And then also when Kate Cuthbert stood up, because at the time she was writing reviews for one of the, the, the paper up in oh, no, Brisbane, Brisbane, like Courier yeah, Mail yeah, yeah, or yeah. something. That's right. And when she stood up, everyone was like, oh, that's Kate Cuthbert. Like... It's just this community that knew each other and finally met yeah. each other. And I, I think that I only knew you. I didn't know anyone else because I joined Twitter the day before Ara. So that you could live tweet. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I remember you had that, like the little laptop. That's right. It was, it was really pretty. It had flowers all over it because I didn't want my sons borrowing it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to be strategic about your digital devices. So do you... Are you able to talk about your academic work? I can a little bit because I've got quite a bit that's on record. So, you know, I've, I'm fortunate enough that I've had several of my articles peer-reviewed and so tell published. us a little bit about the focus of your work. I'm looking at how romance fiction is collected and the metadata that is attached to it through, li through library practices. So um, when I say metadata, it, in particular I'm looking at the catalogue records. So how the books are purchased, acquisitions, and those catalogue records are really important because a lot of people will be familiar with the 
with going into a library and picking romance fiction up off a shelf they'll just borrow it and sometimes that there won't be a type author title so I'm exploring what happens when you don't have an author title attached to this romance fiction? I remember when I was um, in high school, the way I used to borrow those paperbacks, like especially Mills and Boone, mm -mm. is the librarian would scan a barcode that's on their desk. So yep. I assume it would be a generic barcode. But the good thing is you'd, they would never know if it was overdue <laughs> because it wouldn't be on the catalogue properly. And every library has a different way of actually... Um, placing those um, those books, like that particular fiction. So some of them, like the one that you just mentioned, is you know a, a barcode on the desk. So I guess that they would just scan it as many as times as you would, would have books. Other libraries are a case of you know a trust system where you take things out of a off the shelf and you're trusted to bring it back, and there is no barcode attached to it. And then there are other libraries where they have a barcode and that's it, but no other information around it. So what is the effect of not properly filling in the metadata for these books? Well, the very first effect is we don't know who, whose books are being held in libraries. And that then has a whole lot of other, you know, rolling effects from it. So from a library perspective, how do you, as a staff member, deliver a service when part of your collection hasn't actually got that, that base level information? So what are the impacts to you as a service? So I'm not even thinking about it, say, from a romance fiction perspective. Let's, let's pretend that this is – there are libraries that do this, not only for their romance fiction but all their paperbacks. So um, taking away that – the fact that most of the mostly it is with romance fiction and mostly with Mills and Boone and Harlequin rather than the, the single title, single title, and the Avon. That's right. So if you take away that part, how what happens to the borrower who comes in or searches or looks for information and thinks that item isn't in the library yet it's held in the library? So these these are the questions that I am. I'm still exploring them. And then from the author side, the impact is on the, revenue through PLS, yeah? Through PLR. So PLR. public lending right actually at the first ARA, I had, a, I had an author come up to me and say, I don't earn my PLR because of this practice. This is what libraries are doing. And that was the first thing for me. I just had to explore it. So my first two journal papers actually address this issue. So can you just explain PLR for those who aren't familiar with that term? PLR is public lending right. There are 31 countries around the world that pay a compensation to authors for the books that are held in their library. It's called public lending right but it's not actually a right of the reader or a right of the public. It's actually the right of the author whose book is held in a library and Therefore, that book and the amount of times it's read, for instance, some, some countries measure it by the amount of times it's read. Some countries measure it by the amount of books that are held. So it's compensation for, I guess, 
potentially lost royalties That's because right. it's being held in the library. Correct. So, you know, there's a there's like a, a ministry. The, in Australia, it's the Ministry for the Arts and they divvy up a certain amount for books held in libraries. So there's a missed royalty. I guess you could call it a royalty, but it's actually a compensation due to the fact that these books are not... Catalogued and not catalogued properly. So, you know, when libraries are always about the good news and we we have wonderful programs in place where, where um, a government institution that has social cap, that brings social capital to its, to their communities. And we have so many inclusive programs. So when this author said this to me, I, I felt a little bit upset because I just thought, well, no, that, that's not how libraries function. And it, it really made me feel that I had to explore it and I had to see why and I had to kind of get an understanding as to where did this library practice come from, what are the impacts of this library practice and how do libraries move, move forward and, and deal with this issue um, in a positive way. Yeah. Is this a problem that happens with ebooks as well, or is, are ebooks a little bit better in that regard? But ebooks also... are much better because you can't you can't deliberately have um, a lack of author and lack of title like ebooks because it comes with the metadata. Really. That's right, and also you're looking at third party providers. Now, this is a really important part about ebooks, though. If you're borrowing ebooks through your library, you need to understand that it is a third party provider. Now, your library might be subscribing by a certain purchase plan. They might be subscribing through, you know, they choose individual um, titles, but. In so it's general, like the journal subscriptions, that's similar. R- it's it's similar, but you can't drop information off it. it what do you mean by that? Well, you can't choose to not have a t- title. Oh, right. It. Okay. Yeah, it, because it's because provided it's by a third, third party. party. But does PLR, PLR apply to eBooks? There is a PLR. Okay. Yes. Cool. Yes, but what happens with PLR is that every single edition has to be lodged. So if you've got five different editions of your your book, so you've got an e-book, you've got large print, you've got Australian um, release and you've got the worldwide release, you need to actually lodge for each copy individually. So moving on from your academic work, your first love in romance is category romance. Oh, my God. I love category What is it romance. about category romance that you love? And, and how, because I used to love category romance as well, but then there came a point where I, I think I just got saturated with having read so many imprints um, that I sort of lost my love for it. And um, I haven't really been as big of a reader of category romance as I used to be. Mm-hmm. What has sustained your interest in this, um, I guess, subgenre or category? I have to say for me, the, the main thing is that it's approximately 180 pages <laughs> because there's no waffle. There's no one trying to fill in a backstory and then they're droning and droning. And uh, there's, there, it, it's such um, a thin story in 180 pages that, amount of detail to get to this deep interpersonal 
um, connection that these two characters have to have, you have to cut out all the extras. There might be one or two secondary characters, but what you're looking at is this, it's like this really, really micro world of only these two people and how they interact. And every now and then someone else might come along, but you don't have enough words in there to be able to to bring in the na- next door neighbor's backstory and you know the guy up the road and, <laughs> you know the, the best boyfriend <laughs> the evil woman's but the other thing i really like about them it's like a soap opera like it's got all the melodrama and all the shock and you know dun, dun, dun. it's like days of our lives but i can read it all in one book and they end up together it's none of this going on and on and on forever does bo get with hope what's going to happen <laughs> really <laughs> But you also have, like, we don't exactly agree on what constitutes a happy ending. Because for me, when I read a happy ending, I assume that that couple is just together for the rest of their lives. And if I can't believe in that, then I don't feel like it's a happy ending. Whereas for you, you're slightly (laughs) different. (laughs) Well, see, it depends on the book. So sometimes I, I align with that way of reading romance, but I also read romance in the sense of romance, a cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the old school romances where the guy is really horrible and yet they still end up together, you're like, oh, this is, so this is the novel that made me just go, oh, I would never want a guy like that. <laughs> I've always read those alpha holes as these watch out for these people (laughs) but then can you still enjoy the romance oh god yeah absolutely because i you know how many times have you gone to say a party or wedding and someone's like oh my god and i love him or oh my god she's wonderful and then they break up afterwards but you can be really in that moment in that moment where it's fantastic even though 20 years later they break up okay that's fine but you know in that moment they believe that they're in love forever and i can believe that they're in love forever even though i can see an ending Somewhere along the line. I'm getting cognitive dissonance and I can't reconcile this type of ending in my head. <laughs> Look, there, there's one book that I, um, that I read really, really early on. I can't remember the author, but set in Hawaii, he's gets very violent and he rapes her and she runs away with the child. He doesn't realise that she's living on Hawaii and then... They bump into each other years later, the kid's six years old, and right towards the end of the book, he actually turns around and he's like, and, and she's crying and, you know, because he mistreats her so bad. And his thing is, I wanted to break you. I wanted to break you. And I remember reading right. that and I was thinking, why would anyone be with someone like this? Thank you. Because even they might have had the, ha <laughs> Everyone's happy now because she wore the green jumpsuit that was really, really glamorous and they went to a party and he's like, and I loved you even though I broke you. But the thing is that it just made me think, oh, this is how you recognise horrible people. It was just all, it was such an awful book. It sounds appalling. It was. But but you enjoyed it. Oh, I reread it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) When you forget what it's like 
to uh, when you forget what horrible men are like, you reread it to like no, no, remind no. yourself. I know that he's horrible. Every time I read it, I think, oh my God, how could she have ended up with him? Note to self, keep away from horrible men. Possibly this is why I reread <laughs> Passion occasionally because it's such a horrible book with a horrible hero. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes that's what you think. Like, you know, not everyone has to be a nice character. I don't have but to like the do. female character. I don't need to like the male character. I just need to understand how they got to being together, even if I don't like their actual romance That's story. interesting because for me, if I can understand who they are and why they are together, that makes me like them usually. So... I'm the other okay. way around. Like, if you can convince me of the character and the romance, then I'm sympathetic, even okay. if they're complete dickheads. But if you push it too far, and I, I, they, and you can't redeem them in my mind, then I can't believe in the story, and I don't really find it satisfying. But you like the drama, I think, well, and the and the I don't emotion, like the drama. And the I, emotions. I, I. I I like reading the drama. I'm not a particularly dramatic person. I am very cynical, but I'm not dramatic and I can't deal with, you know, high drama and people crying or freaking out because I'm such a crybaby. No one else is allowed to. <laughs> but I think I've just seen, so I'm close to 50. So I've seen a lot of relationships that have not gone well. And I've also seen some really wonderful relationships. Now, does that mean that the relationships that did not work out didn't have this micro moment of happiness, of happiness where they, you know, they came together with some positive aspect? And if it was like a domestic fiction where you get to see all the human, like that broader family saga thing, it would be maybe two chapters. But I really like that focus on those two chapters. But I'm well aware that, you know, these two can be deluded in their, their moment of, of book happiness. <laughs> Love is a delusion. <laughs> <laughs> but afterwards, you know, I'm convinced that some of them, you know, fall apart growing up i lived up the road from um a, from two churches so there was the greek orthodox church on my street and a block down on the same street there was the catholic church and around the corner there was the um anglican church so our street having quite a, it was a bit of traffic on our street we used to see wedding cars going past every hour <laughs> Like constant, it was a. Did you play a game of will they be together in twenty years? Or well, not? I was just a kid, so we used to just be playing out the front, and my parents always would go, "There's another one going to their hanging." <laughs> Mum and Dad, <laughs> we're not talking. Mum going, "Ho ho, no, don't say that." No, no, no. both of them were like, "Yep, there's another hanging," <laughs> and so maybe they they like they they you know, and my parents were really quite happy together and everything, but. It was just like this joke that they would have and I think that I kind of absorbed some of that <laughs> cynicism. <laughs> so as a librarian, yeah. uh, what are the types of people who read romance? Can is there a is there a are there are there different types of people or are there reasons that you've seen why people gravitate towards romance? 
the people that come into the library that read romance that I meet are all walks of life. Um, I have met quite a few men. They're much more, that, that read romance, they're much more reluctant to come and talk to you about it. I've met, um, I've met people who, who, you know, are reticent to talk about it. And usually you have to be the person walking among what we call roving reference. They won't come to the reference desk because they don't feel that, you know, asking for help to find what they need, that it's worthy because they feel that, you know, they're embarrassed or whatever it is. But then again, most people won't come and ask for fiction. It's, it's you know, oh, I need to have information that I'm asking for that usually that I would like a book you know a mystery book or whatever they don't feel that that is as important as say coming and asking for diabetes or information or whatever so we as as library staff actually walk amongst the shelves that's one of the purposes of of us doing things out on the floor engaging with our our library users and you're also a really big advocate for serendipitous book discovery yeah and we've had a few discussions over how um online bookshops and like amazon with their sort of algorithms for recommending books um kind of um um, diminishes that practice or, or um, limits a person's mm. ability? I, th- I think there are positives and negatives with that searchability. I can understand, look, this is a retail commercial site. They are trying to, you know, their aim is to get you to purchase more. However, libraries don't have a, a profit imperative. So I think that we don't really need to you know, my personal opinion is that we don't actually need to go by market, um, by by the way the market labels things. So there's this wonderful academic called Kathleen, um, Catherine Sheldrick-Gross and she is she believes that libraries should have these, you know, um, should all be in alphabetical order by the author's surname because only the alphabet can give you true serendipity. And I'm I'm right there with that. I really, I'm not a big fan of the genre library, you know, where they've got the big, you know, romance here and science fiction here and, you know, literary fiction there. It's like, well, what makes that literary and not the science fiction? Why would you separate the two? Because for the most part, it's not the readers who are engaged in science fiction or the readers who are already engaged in romance fiction that pay attention to those signs. I think what those genre-fied libraries do is they have people who only read literary fiction decide that's the space that I'm not going to go to. And that's why I actually think that you're much better off having things in alphabetical order by the surname because I want to see Roald Dahl next to Victoria Dahl. Mm. Why not? Why shouldn't, you know, um, Jennifer Cruzy be next to someone with CR? Come on. <laughs> Cornwall? Patricia why? Cornwall. Patricia Cor- Cornwall. Why shouldn't Cornwall? they be shelved together? I, I just think, well, why are we separating this? Would you, so would you put everything in kids, young adult fiction, adult fiction? 
I mean, I, I think I would, because of the way that kids are kids, shorter, right? I think access is an issue. So I wouldn't particularly shelve the children's stuff with the adult stuff. I'm quite happy for kids, you know, the kids area, like that young adult stuff, uh, that, that's possibly where you're, you're entering grey area. But I would, act, I actually would really love to see a library mix up all of their books, fiction, non-fiction, alphabetic order, as well as their platforms. So, you, you know, you can have your CDs and DVDs oh. interfiled and it should be alphabetical order by the title, not the order, just You're to mess with anarchist. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, why not? <laughs> Come on. Well, you know, now that everything's sort of digitally catalogued, People who are there to find specific things should be able to find them. And then people who are there just to browse can then browse in a more egalitarian fashion, Absolutely, and serendipity. Now, I think someone can correct me on this. I do believe that the National Library of Australia, and I might be wrong here, I believe that they've shifted to their shelf position is now by when they receive something. Because oh, if your digital right, record okay. is strong or when you look at the robots that they have, like Macquarie Uni and, and the University of Technology Sydney, they go by size. So books are put into those robot boxes according to what fits where. It doesn't matter because no yeah. one's going to be yeah. browsing those boxes. So, hey, what are your thoughts on librarian heroes and heroines? <laughs> And there sex is, in the library. Uh, sex in the stacks. No, just no. <laughs> just no. no. Like sex, no. I have to work in these places. You but know, if they it's don't, no. I know more stories the about people stumbling upon people having solo sex in libraries and it's really disturbing and just no. Like, you know, this is... This is a workplace and, you know, there's no soundtrack goes with it. Like, no. You might be no. ruining a popular trope. Yeah, popular trope, but it's a workplace. I know, but, like, we have Christina Lauren and they have sex in the boardroom and we yeah, have... Yeah, but that's not a good thing because people have to come and sit at those tables well, afterwards. Actually, like, to be honest, that's my problem too. Who's going to get the pineapple clean out and, like... They never clean up after themselves either, which is a bit... Just no, no. Look, I've had to clean Unfortunately, <laughs> I've been in a position where I've had to clean up someone's deposit that they left <laughs> on the actual returns table. And, it, oh, and after oh. that, I had three months where I didn't realise what I was cleaning up. So after that, I had to undergo three months of blood tests yeah. for hep for a whole lot of other illnesses because one person thought, huh, this is a way to intimidate someone. They didn't intimidate me. I just got the spray and wipe out and cleaned everything. And it was after but, they had left that I just went, oh, my God, that's what it is. But if you don't, like, sully the books and you keep all the bodily fluids contained, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a public space. There are laws. I know, but isn't that a romance? Space. That's an erotic romance kink, right? It is, but it's not one that don't I do it in the library. Just no, no. Like find somewhere else. I don't know whether we have any other topics to go from here. I feel like <laughs> we have peaked. Thank you so much for joining us on our fiftieth 
episode. I'm so sorry that it has taken so long to have you as a guest. I have been feeling a bit miffed, <laughs> a little bit. Please hurt. don't. Um, you know, you, two years ago, you, you told actually... me you should be on my podcast when I, I started. Know, I know, and it's taken this long. You actually, maybe my the first one of my first friends who I became friends with because of romance reading and I should point out that the reason I know Rudy is through you that's right thank you for joining us at the podcast that's all we have time for in this episode Praise hands emojis to our audio producer, Rudy Bremer. You can find the show notes for this episode, number 50, at bookthingo.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, uh, please leave a review on iTunes. This helps other listeners like you find the show. It's not too late to send us a recording of yourself or of you and your friends reading aloud from your favorite romance book. If you're not sure how to do this, you can find instructions on the Book Thingo blog. I promise you, it's super easy and it takes less than five minutes. You can totally whip one up while in the car waiting for people. Send your audio clip via email, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. Just remember to tag us at BookThingo or send us the link so we can find it. In the next episode, I'm joined by Dr Jodie McAllister. We talk about her work in academia, her love for reality TV and the glamorous life of an author. In the meantime, please visit us at bookthingo.com.au and have a fabulous fortnight of reading.